0: I'm Haley Rodriguez, and I'm Hannah Adini, and this is Life Beyond. On this episode, we sat down with Joanne, an Austin Community College student who is amazingly two years sober. We also spoke with Zach from
1: Phoenix House, a rehab center here in Austin, Texas.
0: We'll let Joanne introduce herself.
2: I'm Joanne Williams, but everyone calls me Jo. I'm 24 years old, and I came from Arlington, Texas, moved to Austin... About four years ago, actually to get sober. That didn't work out the first few times. Um, And now I just try to go to school and live at a cooperative. I started drinking probably around 11 or so. Uh, That's one of those weird things that I don't recall anyone actually introducing me to. I just remember having a liquor cabinet in the wet bar. And after my grandfather passed away, it just made sense. Mm-hmm. To start drinking. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little older, and I experimented with, you know, like weed and mm-hmm. Molly, Coke, all those fun things. And then I started doing heroin and meth whenever I was about 16, but I'm not sure how mm-hmm. that one happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would just be friends, mm-hmm. friend groups, yeah. mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I've yeah,
1: just who you were hanging around and...
2: I, w- I would like to say that, but I was really the uh, only person that I was friends with, mm-hmm. like genuine friends with, that was doing um, those kind of drugs at that age. Mm-hmm. So to me, even in my memory, it's really hard to narrow down how that started. I, I do actually recall it was my friend who... First, got me started with uh, cocaine. And I must have been 15 when I first did coke. And the same night that I tried to do cocaine, my friend was like, well, if you love this, you'll love meth. And that's what (laughs) got me into that one.
1: So how has your perception of drugs changed since being sober?
2: Changed? Like, how do I feel about them? Yeah, Yeah, I guess... Yeah, and Mm -hmm.
1: like I know like living in a co-op, it's definitely a place where they're around a lot too. So Mm
2: -hmm. Um, the way that I feel about drinking and even Coke really hasn't changed too much. Like it's part of a experience every college student shares in and even my feeling towards heroin and meth. As a drug addict, I really enjoy personifying those narcotics, Mm -hmm. and I was very resentful at heroin and meth for a very long time. And as I guess I progressed in my sobriety, it's more compassionate. Um, I no longer personify those drugs, but any individual that has the unfortunate ability of getting into that, it's a lot of just... um, I guess pain and sympathy Mm -hmm. just damn you know that sucks
0: what do you mean by personify can you talk a little bit more about that
2: oh yeah um heroin was my best friend Mm -hmm. I referred to heroin as she I referred to meth as a he
0: that's really interesting
2: yeah it did (laughs) not occur to me that (laughs) uh, drugs were inanimate objects Because they're synthetic relationships, Mm -hmm. at least they were for me. Right. Um, It felt a lot like uh, my inability to connect with people um, materialized with heroin. Like heroin made me feel like a person. Um, It was, like I said, my best friend. It helped me whenever I was sad, helped me whenever I was really happy. Um, with anxiety it was basically everything a best friend I think is supposed to be except you know it tries to kill you and (laughs) (laughs) take away all your other friends
1: where where do you hope to see yourself like in a few years or in 10 years with your sobriety
2: and your life I would very I would be so grateful to say I've been sober for five to ten years Mm -hmm. (laughs) from now Mm -hmm. that'd be awesome But something that I wanted to do since I got sober and with the community around me helping me to get sober is actually start up my own sober cooperative Mm -hmm. because uh, Austin actually has one of the biggest recovery scenes in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I was in a halfway house whenever I first Mm -hmm. got out of rehab. And with those halfway houses being not central, very south, or very north, it doesn't help people my age to go back to school. It's just work and recovery. So to be able to start up a cooperative, a sober co-op here in, like, West Campus Mm -hmm. to help people grow past the recovery scene would be one of my goals.
0: That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any immediate plans or anyone you think can help you start it or?
2: Mm. Nothing in the works right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, My experience as membership coordinator and director of Pearl Street, I hope, will suffice in the future. Mm -hmm. But right now, I'm hoping to get a internship with North American students uh, for cooperative organization Mm -hmm. um, sometime this summer. And then come back to Austin. I don't know if I'm going to go back to school, TBH. (laughs) Um, I just hope to be able to just take the next right step and find my place. I don't have a plan right now, which is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Mm -hmm. But I got a lot of faith that...
0: Yeah. Well, that's
2: all you need. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep doing the right thing and Mm -hmm. eventually it works out. Of course.
1: Mm -hmm. What else would you consider as part of your ongoing um, sobriety? Like what, besides like talking about it, what else is in the recovery process?
2: Being of service Mm -hmm. is a big one. Um, And that goes beyond just helping the next drug addict or alcoholic. It's Mm -hmm. genuinely just trying to be better than the person you were while you were using. I know that my living amends has been a huge reason for me to stay sober, not missing another Thanksgiving, not missing another Christmas. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that that's what I do at least. There are a lot of people who go to 12-step meetings, mm-hmm. um, find jobs in the recovery field, and I respect and admire those career paths very, very much. For me, it's just about wanting to live my life away from just building it all up on being a recovering drug addict or yep. what I used to be. So at least what I do is just continue to stay of service, reach out when I can and know that no, sobriety gets really, really rough, but it's allowed me to do and be more things than I ever thought was possible.
1: Yeah. I think that's amazing and like being present super
0: important like reaching out to others um yeah um I guess that's kind of a good segue into the next question which is um do you have any like advice for other people who are trying to get into the recovery process
2: my advice would be like listen to people
0: and I know that
2: that's coming from somebody you don't want to (laughs) listen (laughs) to um but If there is anyone struggling, there doesn't have to be like one of those dramatic rock bottoms. There doesn't have to be like loss of life or anything before you realize what you have. And to just reach out because I 100% guarantee that there is somebody out there who doesn't want to see you go down at all. And I know that's really hard to reach out because there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and struggling with addiction or alcoholism. But (laughs) there are so many of us. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just one of those things, man. (laughs) Like (laughs) get back up. And I do want to I would have some harsh truths about just like you probably don't think you're a victim or anything, but that victim mentality perpetuates this cycle or thinking that you're not good enough. That's your ego talking. Like just humble yourself for a second. And if you believe in a higher power, find it Mm -hmm. and ask what the hell it wants you to do. And that's definitely not putting a needle in your arm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, I love you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) whether you've been in recovery for just a month, two years or five years it is an ongoing struggle because that was a huge delusion that I believed whenever I first got sober that it was all going to be amazing I thought that the reason I failed at so many things before was because obviously I was a drug addict so I couldn't do anything but after getting sober it turns out I'm still human And I think that's something that needs to be preached a lot more than just, you know, a lot of times, or at least in my experience, addicts are self-medicating a lot of different things. And whenever you get sober, there's nothing to combat that. So being honest with yourself and knowing that everything's okay, just the way you are.
0: I think that's great advice. It's honestly so incredible that Joe's working on creating a sober home here in West Campus. I seriously feel like that's something that needs to be more appreciated. Yeah, the UT Austin community would definitely benefit from that. I also really liked how she talked about pharmaceutical companies being responsible for the opioid crisis.
1: Yeah, which is true because companies misled all of us on just how addictive opioids are.
0: Which is insane. And another thing that I feel like we need to bring up, and this is something that I've been thinking about lately is what the demographics look like for these rehabilitation centers or sober homes because to be honest I feel like race is a big factor society's got this whole image of like a person of color doing drugs or drinking alcohol as being a criminal or a thug or a gangster but like also views a white person with an addiction as somebody who needs to be helped and who should go to like a rehab center rather than getting the cops called on them
1: yeah you're so right hana the opioid epidemic is being dealt with in such a different manner than the crack epidemic. Public officials recognize it as a public health crisis, whereas African-Americans were being targeted and incarcerated.
0: My biggest takeaway from talking with Joe was that everything that helped her recover from her addiction were things that don't resemble punishment in any way, shape or form. It was just rehabilitation and health. And that's how everyone should be treated. It's honestly amazing to me that there's still this, like, segregation when it comes to how people with addictions are treated based mostly on their race. If you want to learn more about the war on drugs and why this is more of a health epidemic, I highly suggest watching the Ava DuVernay documentary 13th, which is on Netflix. It goes into way more detail than we can. People
1: always say addiction doesn't discriminate, which may be true, but the treatment of people with addiction is just another example of how racism is everywhere in our society. Up next is Zach from the Phoenix House, and here's what he had to say.
0: Could you introduce yourself um, and give your name, title, and how long you've been working at Phoenix
3: House? Absolutely. Um, My name is Zach Anglin. Um, I am a recovery advocate at uh, Phoenix House of Austin, Live Oak, um, and I've been working there for nearly six months now. Um, I will say that any views or opinions I express are not reflective of the views of or opinions of anyone I'm affiliated with, whether that's my employer or Phoenix House as a whole.
1: What exactly is Phoenix House?
3: Phoenix House is a nationwide network of rehabilitation centers for um, people with substance use disorders Um, there are a number of locations across the nation but the location I work for is in the Austin area which serves both inpatient and outpatient clients Um, I work for the inpatient portion of it the residential uh, center it serves patients that have co-occurring disorders um but the the baseline is uh, for patients with substance abuse so by co-occurring disorders i mean um other uh s- like psychological disorders that either contribute to cause or uh, exacerbate substance use uh difficulties so that could be major depression um you know, anxiety disorders, like generalized anxiety, things of that nature.
1: So why does Austin need the services of Phoenix House?
3: Phoenix House, this particular location, serves most of Texas as well as um, patients from other states. But if I were to specify Austin, um, I'd say it needs, Austin needs the services of Phoenix House because it focuses on patients That need a high degree of assistance with substance use problems um, which has a large societal impact Uh, many of these kids are um, part of the reason that they end up in treatment is because they've been involved in criminal activity in some form whether that is breaking into cars robbing houses um, sometimes assault things of that nature that are Associated with their pursuit of uh, substances. So it has a broader impact than just the individual on a community level. Um, and this is a much more proactive and, um, you know, ameliorative approach to, like, dealing with the issue than putting a kid in juvenile detention where they just kind of solidify their habits of thinking that led them there in the first place, which does not address the problem.
1: What is it like being in recovery yourself and working with patients that are also in recovery?
3: Um, it's very fulfilling. I, I would say that in my experience, I several of my co-workers are also in recovery and several of my co-workers are not, and I have witnessed a pretty substantial degree of difference between um those co-workers that are in recovery and their interactions with patients than those that are not I wouldn't say that those that are not are less motivated or anything of that sort it's that uh there's an instant rapport that comes with being in recovery yourself because you're not this outside force that's saying like there's something wrong with you that society doesn't want and like you need to change for other people sort of mentality it's it's that like i've been through all of this too um i've also gone to rehab so like if you tell me that like you don't know what it's like i do know what it's like and um and i can tell you that it is worth doing all this work that like as much as you may believe at this time that life without substances is undesirable i can tell you that if you Push through the delusion involved you'll come to see that it is a much more fulfilling life Um, being able to say that from on a personal level um, changes the dynamic with patients where they're more way more receptive to what you have to say Um, they're they regard you much less as a meddling force that's just like pressuring them to be different and more like somebody who sincerely wants to help
0: So what do you think about the stigma that surrounds people of color with addictions as being like criminals or called like thugs or gangsters versus, you know, the idea of or the image of like a white person with an addiction? Um, And how do you think that's reflected in the rehab process?
3: I think that's a very real stigma, first of all, reflected in our demographics, unfortunately. Um, I think that within the juvenile justice system, there is a bias, very strong bias that is kind of the force underneath who's directing, um, or or basically the selection process within the juvenile justice system for saying this kid is well suited to a rehab program versus this kid. Um, I think that there is systemic racism that is altering that selection process where within the juvenile justice system individuals are more inclined to regard um, teens of color as lost causes or that uh, just beyond help.
1: What are your thoughts on um, pharmaceutical companies responsibility when it comes to addiction and specifically the opioid crisis
3: broadly speaking um, I think that pharmaceutical companies have a great deal to do with um, the opioid crisis certainly Um, if not for any other reason uh, the heavy prescription of painkillers there's a lot of people within the recovery community that ended up with heavier opioid addictions that began with chronic pain and overprescription of painkillers um i would also say that the development of fentanyl um was driven by oh, like pharmaceutical companies and so even though the fentanyl that is kind of underlying the fentanyl crisis is not synthesized by pharmaceutical companies it is it's still known to the public as a result of the work of pharmaceutical companies um within the i wouldn't i wouldn't say that addiction is was created by the pharmaceutical companies i would definitely not say that i would just say that um the severity of addiction as a public health crisis um has been enormously exacerbated by the role of pharmaceutical companies. And I would also say the lethality situation is um very strong. Like historically within recovery it was people would say, um, you know, relapse might be a part of your recovery. Like that might be a part of the journey. Um, that's becoming less and less true. That's becoming not uh a feasible option because people in relapse are at a high risk of death um because of the fentanyl crisis the stepping back from the opioid epidemic itself uh and tying it back to phoenix house uh i would say that majority of patients at phoenix house have doc's drugs of choice that are xanax the overprescription of xanax in the like availability of xanax uh, on a national level has contributed to that um if pharmaceutical companies did not operate the way they did that drug would not be nearly so available to a teenager Um, but it's everywhere and it's it's everywhere because the pharmaceutical companies have a vested interest in prescribing that or seeing to it that that is prescribed instead of other empirically supported approaches to dealing with anxiety. Um, it's not intended to be taken every day. Uh, it is not intended as a long-term solution to anxiety, but that is the way that it's become prescribed um, for most of its history. So that's that accounts for its m- massive availability.
0: Do you have any parting words of advice t- for anybody struggling with an addiction right now
3: I would say that if you think that something's wrong or you think that there's something about your life that feels bad and feels like you wish it could change and you are involved in sort of repeated behavioral patterns repeated actions whether those are involve substances or not, um, that are somehow tied to what you feel is wrong in your life, Um, whether you think it's the cause or the effect, doesn't matter. Just know that recovery is worth a try. It's worth trying to see if there's a different way to live that could bring you a greater sense of peace and serenity. You don't have to believe in God. There are so many ways to do this and the drugs or alcohol or addictive behaviors will always be there if you wanna go back to them. Like there's nothing, there's literally nothing to lose by trying sobriety or trying recovery in some form. You can't lose anything. Like the only thing there is to lose is terrible things. Key concept within the recovery community is how important it is to reach out to someone who's still suffering Um, So there are literally hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are trying to help you right now that are waiting for you to come out of the shadows and like reach out for help. As uncomfortable as it may be, think about how uncomfortable you've been at times in your use or in your addictive behaviors. Like, and you got through that, you can at least get through some discomfort for an hour, talking to people, sitting in a room, hearing something different than what you've been hearing every single day.
1: I had never heard of Phoenix House before talking to Zach, but it sounds like they're doing great things for the youth here in Austin that are in recovery. Um, He talked about spirituality, um, and it's interesting that a lot of the recovery processes are tied
0: to spirituality. Yeah, I'm. I would say that I'm religious, um, and I think that's. I think it's really interesting finding, you know, a greater, a higher power, if you believe in one. And, I, and that really reminded me of something that Joe talked about as well. She talked. She said something like, "If you believe in a higher power, you know, then find it." Up, find it. Yeah, and that's kind of what Zach was saying too. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked how he said that the spirituality that people use to help them with their addictions isn't just about religion. Like it's, I think that's really inclusive and I think that's super, I think that's really interesting just how it doesn't matter. You know, like addiction doesn't discriminate, but um, the recovery doesn't discriminate either, I guess. Yeah,
1: I agree. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of life beyond. We would like to thank Joe and Zach for talking to us about sobriety. We hope for any of our listeners who may be struggling with their own sobriety, our conversations were helpful.
0: We've just tweeted out some useful links for those looking at recovery programs or if you're just interested in knowing more about sobriety in general. These will also be posted on our website, lifebeyondcast.com, so be sure to check that out. And also make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lifebeyondcast so you don't miss any of our updates.
1: And if you liked hearing us talk about things we think are interesting, don't forget to subscribe.